Once again, returning to Revelation chapter 3 tonight, we begin the first half of our consideration of this next church, these churches here in uh, chapter 3, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, we'll consider Sardis tonight and we'll only look at one element of this, well two elements actually, of this three component provision for him that overcomes as we continue our study tonight, found there in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, and we'll consider more of the church itself here shortly, but beginning with verse 5 there, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And that's where we will pause and bow our heads once again. Heavenly Father, grateful Lord, again, Lord, for the position that we have in your family, in your household, Father, in this place of fellowship. Father, I thank you for each one of our brothers and sisters, Lord, that we can stir up to good works, Father, that we can stir in fellowship, that we can enjoy this time, Father, centered with your word at the middle. Father, I thank you, Lord, for just blessing us, Lord, with this capability. Help us to be nourished, Father. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be joyful for this time and the word that you give us. Give us the strength that we need. We are a needy people. Help us to recognize that and receive the strength that you willingly give. Bless this word to us tonight, Father. Give us understanding and discernment as your spirit leads and guides. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, uh, considering this city Sardis and the provision that was promised to well, him that overcomes as the Lord spoke to this city. Uh, I haven't talked at length about the cities prior to this one. and For some reason, I've kind of felt the Lord just put on my heart to give a little bit of the history here of Sardis. Not a great deal of history, but just some of the characteristics that this city was known for uh, back in that day. Uh, historians today all agree that Sardis was quite wealthy quite affluent. The vast majority of those ones who lived in biblical times were pretty well off, pretty well to do. Not the least uh, reason for that is because there was a river or a river that travels through that. Uh, I'm not sure what that river looks like today, but back in that time, evidently it was quite, well, flowing quite abundantly with a couple of different materials. One of them you've heard of, it's called gold. And the other one is one called electrum, and it's an alloy, a naturally occurring alloy of gold and silver. A couple of, well, I wouldn't mind having that alloy sitting in my backyard just to go grab, but evidently there were deposits of it quite readily available even on the shores and the banks of this river. And uh, Sardis was wealthy in part because of the access they had to this natural occurring element that was abundant in their city. Uh, all, all historians that I found agree that they were one of the first, if not the first, civilization, culture, city, government, whatever it might be, to mint coins from gold and silver. So, yeah, there were, there were reasons why this, this city was so well-to-do. Now, that being said, because they were so wealthy and because they had such a vibrant living commerce, you know, you look at... You know, you can look at the ball dropping here before too long here in less than a month. When you see the ball drop on Times Square, you see New York City and all the lights and all that. And you're like, man, there's a living, breathing place right there. in that little small little microcosm of the whole world, it's a living, breathing animal there. 
Sardis was evidently something along those lines, something that was rather alive with natural life. And yet, where it mattered, much of, well, much of what was present there was death, as we can read here. Uh, death was present, and that's how Jesus identified them. He didn't have a whole lot to say to this, to this church in comparison with a couple of the other ones here. Um, but what he did have to say was less than complimentary. You can understand if you read ahead. Look at the first verse of Revelation chapter 3, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Revelation 3.1 says to the ch- angel of the church in Sardis, Hey, Al, can you help me uh, get a clicker over here? Uh, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars... He says, as he said to the other six churches, I know your works. And then he goes on to say something further, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. (laughs) And that's quite blunt speaking. Uh, His tone here is not positive towards Sardis, and it doesn't go on with any kind of real encouraging them in the way that they're doing. As a matter of fact, I would say that maybe second only to Laodicea is the lack of positivity, the lack of, uh, well, attaboy, tone that's present here um not a lot of commendation he says you're alive and that not much more than name only is what he's saying here now some might believe that sardis and the pastor the angel they're speaking there the messenger that they're speaking he's speaking to there that they were unsaved and being called dead here and i think that if you read and consider the context of what jesus is saying to these ones in sardis i think that more accurate is that it's a church of believers who are dead in faith you understand what i'm saying when i say dead in faith james tells us faith without works is dead you can be as vibrant as you want to naturally speaking have a great personality get along with everybody and if you don't have well if you don't have jesus in your heart you're not obeying him in the things that he leads you in then your faith is not fruitful, it's not abundant, it's not verdant, it's not vibrant, it's not any of those other things, synonyms for living and breathing and beneficial and profitable. Uh, I think this was a church of defined overall, characterized by believers whose faith was like that. He said, I know your works. I know your works. And works aren't the means to salvation. So he looked at those works and he says, be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain. So there's something there in Sardis that are ready to die, not living very well for themselves. For I have not found your works perfect, not complete, not not something that's satisfactory or worthy of, of this calling and vocation that you're called to. He says, I have not found your works perfect, complete before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. There's something there, something there, albeit it's... On life, on life support. I mean, it's, it's very minimal there. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. The works that they had here weren't reflective of one who is overcoming, one who would overcome fully. They weren't being circumspect. He said that they needed a watch. They weren't living for his appearing. They were living for themselves. They have a name written, it seems, in the book of life as he can. You can read the context. There's a lot of things about names here in this statement to them. They have a robe, but it's been hidden. They don't walk presently with the intent of walking with him for eternity, not the closest that they could have in fellowship. And that reflects in his statement here to him that overcomes. It ties into their state, their condition before the Lord. And so I hope to show that to you as we consider uh, well these 
these statements that the Lord has for him that overcomes. Now we're going to focus primarily on the white garments that he speaks of there in verse 5, at least tonight. We'll finish up tomorrow. I'm going to tie in. I'm going to tie in the remainder of this verse 5 with the next church uh, and bring those together and kind of marry them together. But tonight we'll just look here primarily at he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Now by this time, uh, but let me, get, let me get in the right slide here. There we go. He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments. We've been, this is lesson seven of this uh, study. So by this time, if you haven't picked it up, Um, overtly because I have said it overtly, then let me say it clearly tonight. There are a couple of different things that we need to take away when we consider these statements to him that overcomes. One is that him that overcomes might share some blessings with those who don't fully overcome. You understand that? Just because it says him that overcomes will experience this, it doesn't preclude all other believers from having some of those things. Uh, Well, a white robe, we're going to get there here in just a moment. But some of these other things that him that overcomes has, the name written in the book of life. Uh, All believers have that. So you understand that. Uh, The provision that him that overcomes has might not be merely for that full overcomer. Uh, But also, I want us to look at the truth that each one of these things promised to him that overcomes is a blessing that's related primarily and specifically related to Jesus. Something of his character, something of his relationship, something of his presentation of his own personality or something along those lines. And this statement here presents both of those truths very clearly, I think. Uh, To be clothed in white garments is not reserved merely for the fully victorious. It's not reserved only for him that overcomes. If you look in Revelation chapter 7, we see we get an eye uh, at the throne of the Lord, that throne in heaven in Revelation chapter 7. John's given a vision of that rather remarkable place there. And look what we see there. Uh, If I mention the multitude for... To you, a number of you would say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, that's what we're looking at here in Revelation 7 and verse 9. And John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And let me just pause there and say, How faithful is our Lord to make his word known to all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. Uh, he is exceptionally faithful. And he uses us oftentimes. He doesn't need us, but he gives us that blessing of being his vessels. And there we see the result of it, the fruit of those labors. A great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And how are they outfitted, these ones? Whether they have gone on to full victory and full understanding and and their faith replete with everything that the Lord offered them or merely satisfied with just entering in, we see that they're clothed with white robes, this entire multitude, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We could spend time at length. And we have in times past about what all of this means, but just remember when you consider these things that you see in Revelation and in the days to come, when it talks about those end times, if you want to have a better understanding of who you're reading about and who you're studying, consider what their location is, consider what they're doing, consider what they look like, consider what they're wearing. Oftentimes all of these different things will point you to 
their rank, their status, who they are, and just give you perhaps some better information, some better understanding on who they are. These ones here stand before the throne. They're not in the midst, not around the throne. They're before the throne, Look well, kind of looking at it almost from a distance, you might say. Uh, I don't want to say that they are limited in fellowship with the Lord. You have to be kind of careful where you, where you say this. Uh, but they're not, they're not sharing a throne with the Lord Jesus. Let me say it that way. They're not sharing a throne with him. They're characterized also by a limited understanding. What are they crying out? Salvation belongs to our God. And that's pretty much where it stays there with them. Salvation, salvation. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to diminish salvation, of course. I'm grateful for that. And that is the beginning of faith. And that is when we receive this white robe, uh, figuratively speaking, that we see here on this multitude. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, this is the beginning of faith. This is that act of salvation here that's presented here in Isaiah 1.18. For the Lord says, come now and let us reason together. Though your skins, not your skins, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. A cleansing takes place when you come to Jesus. A cleansing takes place when you come to him accepting his sacrifice on your behalf. These are my sins. I have nothing to offer except for my belief, my faith, and my sins that are everything that I am. And the Lord makes us God's righteousness as we make that exchange. Cleanses us of those sins, past, present, and future. We're cleansed of the penalty of that. We're made God's righteousness in Christ. Uh, it's a paradox that you can't understand necessarily. But I doesn't mean that I can't believe it and can't know it to be true. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Cleansed. The stain is no longer a stain. It has been removed. Um, white speaks of cleanliness. White speaks of purity. White speaks of well, the absence of sullying, if that's a good term for it. It's all the colors together in their purest form make white, we understand. It's as pure as pure can be. And all those who come to the cross of Christ are made pure, given white garments in Isaiah 61 and verse 10 speaks of that clothing that we have in the Lord it says I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful in my God how come for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation he has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels and we'll consider this passage again next week uh, when we look at some further elements there. But he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. We put on a new robe when our old creation was removed and separated from our new creation. A new creation was authored within us. That faith was authored in us by Jesus. We understand this. New creation, old creation separate. And white garments, a white garment was issued to us. A robe of righteousness. A garment of salvation. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was 20 years old when I got hired in the fire department. When I got my first uniform, man, I was so, man, I was proud when I got that uniform. Uh, it didn't matter that when they gave me my first gear, I had to scratch out three other names before mine. <laughs> 
put my name in there after those other three. And the only boots that they had, I was a 10 and a half, so they gave me a 10 on the left and an 11 on the right. So I had, for the first year of my, of my job in Grandview, uh, I had a, well, misfit boots, hand-me-down gear, and I was still proud of those things because I belonged, man. I was, belonged. This is this, this, happening, man. I'm a, I'm a firefighter. Can't grow a mustache for anything. Uh, weighed 140 pounds, but I looked the part, right? I was dressed right. It was standard issue. Here's your uniform. You are part of this. Man, you believe in the Lord Jesus. He gives you the right size, I'll tell you that. It's the perfect size. It's the perfect provision. His standard issue is a robe of righteousness that's perfect and cannot be, cannot be stained. Sullied, yes. Covered up, put something on over it, hidden, yes, it sure can be. All of those things. And that's what we're going to talk about here as we proceed. But can it be stained again and can it be ripped off of you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's his standard issue and it is yours. Now, why white? What's the significance besides the purity and the cleanliness? Why does he appoint this garment to us? Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, every one of these provisions, every one of these promises that the Lord makes to us has some relation to the Lord Jesus, has some attribution that belongs to him, the hidden manna we considered. Uh, All of those other ones that I won't list off, but each one of them is related to him in some manner. The garments of white... Make the wearer look literally, I don't know if you can be literal and figuratively at the same time because it's a figurative robe, but it helps us to figuratively literally look like Jesus. Does that make sense? Literally look like Jesus. How so? Turn to Matthew 17 and you'll see what I'm talking about here. Each of these blessings here, it's promised to each one of these ones who will lay hold of that for which they were laid hold of presents that nearness to the Lord Jesus that we're seeking if we're looking for His appearing. Matthew chapter 17 helps us to understand that this white robe makes us look indeed like the Lord Jesus Himself. This was with Peter, James, and John, you'll remember, in Matthew chapter 17, the first three verses there. Took them up on that mount. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, His brother, led him up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. It's an interesting word. I'm not sure I've ever heard that term outside of this specific account. Certainly not outside of Scripture. But he was transformed, changed right before them. How so? His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. It was Jesus giving a glimpse of who he was in spirit, who he was in person who he, what he was going to be in the time to come. And not only that, but who they could expect to be in him and through him. It demonstrated his purity. It was something they could visually, visibly see and recognize and see. It wasn't him fully glorified. You understand that? I mean, it's not, you can't see the Lord's glory, but you saw a change of an end. Kind of a sampling, if you will, of the glory that was in and the glory that's to be revealed in us as well. It was something that they could lay hold of and, and take hold of and recognize the purity. I think, uh, was it Luke or Mark that said that it was white such as no launderer or fuller could ever attain. It was a brightness that was radiant even. It emitted light when they saw him. 
It's consistent, consistent with how we see the Lord presented in some other places. For time's sake, I won't turn over there, but in Daniel chapter 7, it speaks of the Ancient of Days being seated, and he's described as his garment being white as snow. White as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. Again, lots of imagery and lots of symbolism that's there. But that whiteness and that brightness is present. And there's a likeness between the Son of God and we, his children. His purity, his righteousness is demonstrated there. And he's unsullied and he's undefiled. And it's all of those things that we should desire to be ourselves. We understand this. Now, we understand we are in the Lord Jesus. We've believed in him. We have accepted him. Any who have believed actually have put on this robe of righteousness. And here's another term for it, you might say. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, when Paul speaks all to the Colossians and how to treat one another, he says, Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And notice it's past tense. It's past. It's already happened. It's done. You have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So this has happened. We've put off the old man, put on the new man. The robe is there. It's present. It's already the Lord, if no one else sees it, the Lord sees that white brightness that is is present. Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, We have put them on. It's done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, we understand that because that robe is upon us now, we have the opportunity to be transformed further into the same image of Christ himself. But we all with unveiled face, now that we've been wearing this robe, now that we have this, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That's an ongoing work that's there. Being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, can we quench the Spirit and stop this work, halt this work? Yes, we can. Quench not the Spirit, it says. Can we grieve the Spirit by the acts that we do as we, well, Don't lay hold of what he has for us from glory to glory. Of course we can. Again, this is that same message that we consider for the last six weeks, that there's more to it and other times before, that there's more than just salvation. The robe is there. Now what do we do with it? How do we wear it? I have it in my notes all over the place. How do you wear that robe? What does it look like, that robe? Each of us have our own respective styles, right? Naturally speaking, you know, I dress like an old man now. You know, I used to wear high tops and Jordans and that kind of thing and, and think that I looked real cool. I look at pictures now and I see my tight rolled jeans and two big shoes. I'm like, what an idiot I was, you know. That wasn't style. You know, it felt stylish at the time. How do you wear your clothes? How do you wear your spiritual clothes? How do you wear this robe that he has for you? We're not looking for style points. We're not looking for anything other than to look more like Jesus. What does he look like? And so we look. So that from glory to glory, as we consider the word, as we consider our life as it applies to the word, as the word shines itself onto our lives, we consider how does Jesus look in this situation? How does he want me looking in it? And we wear our robe accordingly. That's what we're looking to do. We're looking, uh, well, we're looking at being transformed in his image. And it begins with putting on his clothes, this white garment. Taking that standard issue that he has given to us identifying that we belong in that company. That's our department, if you will. And that's in the household of faith, the body of Christ. And now we want to pursue and get promoted, you might say. It matters how we wear it. It matters how we wear this robe. Having put on this new man, we're not done, we understand. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4 kind of gives a good idea of some of the things that we might do with this robe. 
If you look back here when he's speaking to Sardis, how does he describe some of those ones there? Gives you a little bit of hope uh, regarding these, well, these dead churches, you might say. It says, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, have not sullied these garments, have not covered them up, have not hidden them, have not dirtied them, have not disregarded them. Uh, They've not sullied their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. (laughs) What a sweet passage to consider walking with him. Saints, as I say often, you know, what happens in eternity with each individual child of God is a reflection of what happens in this life. If we want to walk with the Lord and be close to him in eternity, you know, we seek to be as close to him as we can now. And then that doesn't echo. People say, what you do in life echoes in eternity. No, it's expounded. It's weighted heavier. An echo is just a shallow, hey! It's just a shallow reverberation of a weakening thing. Sorry if I hurt anybody's ears there. It's actually something that gets deeper and stronger and fuller when you look at eternity in heaven. What we do here is expounded, exponentiated even in heaven. These ones who have not defiled their garments, they're going to shine rather brightly, won't they, in, uh, in glory? Uh, it means that they wear their robes well today. Ephesians chapter 4, they won't cover their robes. Uh, and that's what Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to. It's similar to what Paul said to uh, the Colossians in regards to having put on the robe. Uh, there's an ongoing putting on of that robe. He says, you've not so learned Christ. He describes some things. Uh, that were wrong thoughts. He says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, you believers, the truth is there, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit continually. It's an ongoing work. Each one of you, I am confident, could reiterate to me how much we need the Lord's salvation day by day. Today is the day of salvation. Not just salvation from sin, but salvation from all of the things. All of the things. Not just salvation from eternal death. That's been done a long time ago for for most of us. Today is the day of salvation from my flesh. From the old man that I can choose to pick up and carry with me. On, on a daily basis. No, put it off, he says. Put off the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit over and over, continually renewing, continually refreshing, you might say. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the refreshing of your mind, moment by moment sometimes. Sometimes, moment by moment, we need to go to the Lord and say, renew me, refresh me even now, in this moment, five minutes later. Again? No, the Lord never says that. He says, again. Again, I will refresh you and renew you. We want to be changed from glory to glory. It's a daily pursuit. We want to put on this robe of righteousness and wear it well. We want to not just... (laughs) you you, You know, as soon as you put your kids in... In, in fancy clothes when their kids are going to you know, grab some chocolate or go play in the, in the mud or they're going to do something that's going to wreck what they have on because they don't care what they're wearing. You do. 
They don't give a hoot what they're wearing. They'll go play in patent leather shoes and a little tux if you put them on, put that on them. They don't care what, what they're wearing. Saints, we should care what we're wearing. Some wear this robe better in this life than others, and it will show in heaven when we're nearer to him. For time's sake, because I'm trying to be more disciplined, I'm going to start wrapping things up here. And I'll just point to you, uh, to you real quick in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4. Contrast the multitude. Contrast the multitude we read just a moment ago. Those ones who were before the throne. Contrast those with those ones who are amidst and around the throne. They're enthroned with Jesus and right up there against him. We study the four living creatures. Those ones who reflect those different natures of the, of the Lord Jesus. Those four different natures and are winged and whatnot. We don't oftentimes consider the 24 elders who in their own right are representative and figurative of those who will be fully victorious. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4, how are they described there? It says, around the throne, that's the throne of the Lamb, around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, also clothed in white robes, it says. Now they had more. They had crowns of gold on their heads. Again, I think that these ones reflect the character. And look what they're wearing, right? Look where they are. Look what their position is. We can read that they're worshiping the Lord. Every opportunity they're falling down on their faces worshiping the Lord with those four living ones. And they're crowned. And they have righteousness upon them. They cast their crowns before the Lord. They don't just attribute salvation to them. They attribute glory and honor and power and creation and blessing and wisdom and a number of other things in Revelation. Thanksgiving, strength and might. They get Him. They understand Him because they sought to get Him. They sought to understand Him in this life. They sought to be close and near to Him in this life. They didn't sully their robes. They sought to look like Him in this life. And it's reflected there. They look like Jesus. They're enthroned. They're crowned. They look like joint heirs with Christ. Uh, And it it shows. As far as, you know what? I think I'm not going to go into the name being blotted out. Let me just say this. We see repeatedly in these messages to the seven churches how much payoff there is by investing into eternity now. We see throughout all of these different ones, and all through Scripture for that matter, that if you invest in this life and your If you invest in eternity by walking this life in the manner that the Lord has for you, there's benefit. There's a payoff. There's a return on that investment. You believe in, in God? Learn about God. Trust in Jesus. Trust Him. Love Him. Learn who He is. Imitate Him. Make your life about Him. Well, He makes eternity very much about you when you're next to Him in that closest place. And that's why Jesus warns these ones like Sardis, these ones who have abundance in natural wealth, abundance in natural distraction, abundance in natural provision that keeps them from focusing and investing on eternity because they're invested in right now. They're, they're getting a return right now. They're comfortable. They're, they're pleased with themselves right now. And so we see it. their works and their manner of life doesn't reflect something godly for eternity. We see that they're not circumspect, as the Lord said. They aren't looking for His appearing. They have a name written in the book, and that's it. They have a robe, but they have hidden it because they put on the, well, the wealth of this world and the satisfaction of this world. 
Saints, that's not the equation, that's not the formula to being him that overcomes. And the Lord has reiterated and reiterated and reiterated what the formula is. And that's to trust the Lord, be transformed into his image from day to day by seeking to honor him and obey him and glorify him moment by moment, looking like him and wearing this robe and wearing it well. And that's where I'm going to pause tonight. And we'll pick this back up again next week. Wear your robe well, child of God. Serve him well.